The following is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to Life as a Life Schooler, where we talk about how to merge life with homeschooling. I'm Danielle Papagiorgio, and today we are talking to Dr. Jill Buttrin. Passionate about living and loving, Jill Buttrin, MD, left a thriving medical practice to re-educate herself, rededicate rather, herself to faith, marriage, and family. When her verbally precocious eldest child made it very clear in no uncertain terms that being away from home all day to attend kindergarten was completely unacceptable, Jill and her reluctant husband began homeschooling and never looked back. Bucking convention by not using a curriculum, Jill has home-educated two wiggly and willful boys on a steady diet of Legos, literature, and labor with a dash of mentoring. Committed to staying out of the way and allowing each child to develop at his own pace in his own way, the veterans stress spiritual and relational development over academic achievement, where all that boy energy is channeled into meaningful activities and work projects instead of pointless busy work. Jill believes parents' ultimate responsibility is to turn out healthy adults who love and serve others, and this can only be achieved by modeling and facilitating personal growth through relationship and experience. It is an imperfect process carried out by imperfect people. Thankfully, there is grace. Welcome, Jill. Thank you, Danielle. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you coming on and talking with us today, and I just love your introduction. Um, it's great. <laughs> I, I just love how you put things. But so you let's jump right in and talk about this. You were a family doctor before you had children and then you had children and you shut down your practice. That's a huge decision. So what led you to leave your practice and start homeschooling? Well, you are correct. that That's a huge decision. Um, it's not only a six figure decision in my case. Uh, but it was a giving up of who I thought I was as a physician. I was Dr. Jill to several thousand people and everyone I knew. And so I had to uh, cope with a, a different identity, so to speak. But what led to that was was feeling like I was always in the wrong place. Um, when I had decided to be a physician... I was not yet married, did not have children. I had no idea what that would be like and really wasn't part of my thinking in, at that point about in terms of that being an actual reality. So I didn't really know that I might have this conflict someday. And I was educated in a time and place when... We were still think we were still thinking like the Anjali woman, you know, can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never forget your never let you forget you're a man. And it's <laughs> it's kind of a silly ad, but we were we I grew up in that era where it was expected that women would and could do it all. And the reality was for me that I couldn't, and so something had to give because every time I was at work, I felt like I should be home. And every time I was home, I felt like I should be at work. And at this time, my eldest was about two 
when I started having these really <laughs> conflicting feelings and it was really a horrible time for me and I kind of ran away from the the decision for a while because I knew it was there and it was looming and something had to be done but I kind of ignored it and brushed it under the rug but uh, in a moment of downtime and clarity when I just was uh, sitting in my uh, in-laws basement making wreaths out of evergreens that we had gathered in the woods uh, I was just down there by myself and I had this quiet time with God and I s became aware that I just needed to give up full-time practice and and part-time too uh, really I just had to give it all up and be a stay-at-home mom for a while and for the first time, that thought didn't freak me out. I had real peace and clarity with it. And I went home and I drafted a resignation letter. And the following February, at the end of the month, was my last day of full-time medical practice. Hmm. Wow. Well, it's <laughs> so, you know, I think those quiet moments when we can just be alone without the distractions and just really listen to the Lord and, and, and talk to Him, we get such clarity through that. And those things, it, it's so easy to push off the Holy Spirit, to push off that conviction, because it's something we don't want to deal with. But when you really um, make that intentional point to just listen to what He's saying and let go of that fear, fear is a big thing that we talk about even with the whole life schooling philosophy, and I can't wait to hear more about what you have to say about your no curriculum upbringing <laughs> of your boys. But you know, it really, so many things come back to fear inhibiting us from doing what we really truly know in our hearts is right. And if we would just let that go, it's such a freeing experience, which I'm sure you felt that in that moment. I did, and I'm glad that you named fear, because it's huge, and I think everybody fears, and honestly, I don't know what it's like to be a man and what that kind of fear feels like, but when you're a woman, there's this tendency to please others, and the world has very different ideas for your life than God does, mm -hmm. and... I always, I always say there's this, um, faith is faith, but faith really isn't complete until you also trust God. So if you believe his promises, and, and then it's so much easier to not fear if you not only believe in him that he exists and that he's your God, but also trust that he'll take care of you no matter what, and trust that what he says is right. It does make this whole thing a lot easier, and it, it it may not totally erase all fear, but it gives you courage that you can do things that might be uncomfortable. And when I gave up medical practice, a lot of people in my life made it really uncomfortable for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even my husband was very reluctant. Um, my husband married another physician, and that was important to him. And 
you know, he had kind of an identity crisis to it <laughs> along with me. And, um, and my partners were like, are you crazy? You know, I, all this education for nothing. And even other moms were angry at me. Hmm. I was somehow letting them down. And, and I, I know in some <laughs> cases it was, there was jealousy going on. And I think right. in other cases, it was just this feminism thing. Like, oh, you're making us all look bad or whatever. You know, you're supposed wow. to be a working woman. You know, you're professional. You're letting us down kind of thing. But, you know, there was a lot of grief from the world. And I think that was part of why I ran away from the decision for a long time. Because it's not what the world expected. Right. And my dad didn't like it either. And, you know, I just... <laughs> I got very little support for that decision, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure. I mean, there are a lot of consequences that went with that. I mean, you were affecting not only your own life and the li life, lives of your children and your husband, but your patients and, like you said, your friends. And I'm sure it felt like, like you were letting people down in one sense, which I'm a people pleaser. So for me, that would be very difficult to deal with, yeah. you know, because I want to, I want to please other people. I want to help them. And, but I think something the Lord has really been teaching me lately is just how important it is to make a serious, I mean, to really pay attention that I'm not slipping into pleasing other people, serving other people and forgetting about my family. And he's really brought me back around to making sure that my family is my first priority because mm -hmm. all these other things are great. And it's great that you could, could be a doctor and help all these people, but you, you saw what was truly important. And we have such a short time with our children. Um, and I just, I so admire you for making that hard decision and choosing the best thing. Um, not a good thing, you know, not just <laughs> good, but a best thing. Right. Um, That's exactly right. I, when it came down to it, I realized that, I, I mean, I don't remember how many patients I had, but the average family doctor has somewhere between 2,000 and 3,500 patients. Wow. I thought, That's a lot of people, but they will find other doctors. Mm -hmm. My husband will never have another me. For a wife, he may have another wife someday if I precede him in death, but I'm not replaceable at that point. My children will never have another mother. So, yeah, yeah it was a matter of choosing best over good or better. And I have never regretted it at all. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure you haven't. Yeah. I mean, hmm. who would? <laughs> <laughs> so... We've talked a little bit about the, um, you know, people being upset with you. So I was going to ask what the most difficult part was, and I kind of assumed that was, <laughs> that's what it was, is just dealing with the criticism. Um, mm -hmm. But was there anything else that, that made that um, decision difficult or? Yeah. Pretty much um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was my identity. I, right. I had spent, um, four years in college and four years in medical school and three years in residency mm -hmm. and uh, an additional year doing um, some extra training in emergency medicine because 
my I live in a relatively rural area. It's not really, but mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, at that time, family doctors were doing more emergent, urgent stuff and more procedures than they were in urban areas. So I did a little extra. So I had spent a lot of time training myself to do what I wanted to do and to do it well. And, and, and I built this practice full of patients I loved. And so the identity thing was tough. And, and, and I think that's why, um, I can really understand men who are really, you know how they say men identify a lot with their occupation and that's Mm -hmm. part of their personal identity. Whereas for women, often it's their family and relationships. And, that part of my identity was hard to lose and mm-hmm. and here's a here's a silly stupid vain thing i used to think i laugh at myself all the time now i um after i stopped working i'd be like I'd go to the grocery store go places with my son or whatever and, and it was daytime and i was so unaccustomed to being out in the world during the day like when other moms were out uh-huh. And I kept wanting to shout from the mountaintops, I'm not just a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's I didn't funny. really, but I had that sense about me that, like, right. somehow I wasn't as good or, and, and it was stupid. It was immature <laughs> and, and it was dumb, but I still had that in me. And and I don't know if it was just, yeah, it was just, I was used to people saying thank you all day and treating me like with respect and as a professional and like at home when you're changing diapers and cooking dinner, <laughs> you don't get thank yous like that, you know? No. It's just, it's a different life that I had to get used to and I had to get used to just serving others without any reward all day long and that I think was a real struggle for me. Yeah. Because that maturity, I was immature. Right, right. And we've all gone through that. It's it's a humbling thing I'm sure <laughs> um, to step away from something like that and and not get thanks like you said all day long and serving your children and not talking <laughs> to adults <laughs> yeah that's a different life for me yeah yeah definitely uh, so to remind our listeners so the definition of life schooling is the individualized process of discovering your child's God-given gifts and talents through real-life experiences that happen within the context of your family's unique situations and missions. So share with me, just hearing that definition, and I know you've had a chance to look it over, is there a part of that that really speaks to you or um, share with us about about what that means to you and, and your family and how that played out in your family? Well, it's all so relevant to me and when we started homeschooling, I didn't know anything about that, and I didn't really even think of things that way. I just kind of intuitively realized that my eldest child had a personality and had interests and had gifts and talents and had weaknesses, and I just figured it was my job as the parent to help with all that and to be a mentor with all that. And that was just intuitive parenting on my part. I don't know where that came from. Perhaps my own parents had that approach. Um, But 
there was also this thing where I believed that parenting starts with non-separation. And for a mother, you have this intimate connection with your child in utero for 40 weeks or so. They're part of you. And um, they're growing in you. And then at birth, you get to meet them, which is a really Mm -hmm. beautiful thing. But then um, they still need you right there all the time. And so I had no problem with being right there all the time. And so when my kids were little, I took them everywhere. And sometimes my eldest, when he was a toddler, would go to the hospital with me because, you know, maybe my husband was in, uh, he's also a physician. So maybe he was, he, there was some trauma and he had to go to the OR overnight or something. And I had to do hospital rounds in the morning. I would just take my son with me. And that was purely natural to me. Raised a lot of eyebrows. (laughs) But... (laughs) But it was natural for me to have my children with me. And when I would go to the office on um, off times and do paperwork or whatever, my son came with me. And um, I guess it was kind of like that with both kids. I, I, I just lived with them. I thought they were an important part of my life. We went to the grocery store. I cooked with them. They were... I wanted them to see the way I lived and what I was doing. And it was in those little moments that I found teachable moments, which is probably why I ended up not using a curriculum eventually, because I had realized that just spending time with your kids, you become aware of what their needs are and you can fill them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm certainly not a helicopter parent. In fact, as my children get older, I let them go, and they start making their own decisions. And by the time they're 15 or 16, they're pretty much functioning like an adult. And I'm not there all the time, and I'm not looking over their shoulder, and I'm not making phone calls on their behalf. They're expected to take care of their own stuff, and I'm here as a mentor and a person to give advice. So for me, that life schooling thing, it's so relevant because it's in the course of everyday life that you develop relationship, you develop trust, you show your children as best you can as the human when they're small what a relationship with God is like. So I took very seriously that I was to um, extend grace to take accountability for my own actions, to be wise, to take care of them, even when it was uncomfortable for me. And I do remember a lot of times when uh, discipline, which I believe, you know, it comes from the word training. It's not, I don't believe discipline is punishment. I believe discipline is training. So when I use the word discipline, that's what I mean. And I believe it's a parent's job to train children to be who God created them to be, to help them navigate this path toward living a faithful, obedient life. And so I don't can't imagine doing it any other way other than the context of home and family life, really. I, I don't see that any other entity can do that as well as families right exactly i mean that's that's how god set it up it's it's yes who came up with all these different you know with the whole idea of a school system and 
sticking them in behind desks and for a certain number of hours a day. It's it's really so unnatural, and that's why I love in your um, your bio how you talk about just letting your boys be wiggly boys and discover <laughs> the world through Legos and literature and labor. You know, that was another important part um, I <laughs> noticed is that you added that because I think that is very important for children to learn the value of hard work because <laughs> if they're hard workers, then they're going to get by. You know, if they have good character and they're hard workers, um, they'll succeed. They'll be successful in life. So, um why don't you tell us a little bit about that, uh, if you would, just maybe some of the experiences that your boys have had with with just some hard work and perhaps the whole mentorship aspect of that as well. Oh, sure. Um, well, when our children were young, they were expected to pick up after themselves. You know, anything that was age appropriate, they were expected to do. Not that I would never do them favors or anything. You know, we try to live in a loving, helpful environment. But they have responsibilities. They contribute to the workings of the home. And I think that helps children develop skills and confidence and purpose. It's an important part of being a group when you're a contributor and not just a taker. Right. So... So that's, that, I think, is important when children are younger, and, and it stays important. But as children develop certain skills, um, for example, my eldest has a strong interest in gardening and food. Um, my youngest has an interest in talents in the technical world. So they contributed to our family and our businesses especially in those ways. Uh, in fact, my eldest is now married, and I miss that, <laughs> that he's here to help me in the garden. <laughs> I know. I'm missing my son to, this week because he's down helping his grandparents rake leaves in their big backyard, and I'm like, where's Connor? We need him to help with the animals and the, everything else. It's Yeah, you miss them when they're gone for sure. Yeah, you do, and, and it's... Um, yeah, I think that's kind of a blessing that then they is. know that yeah. what they do has value, right? Yes, and it's a reminder and, to us, too, because we can take it for granted, everything that they do. That's exactly right. Exactly. So, yeah, and so my um, my youngest would often, uh, like sometimes I give seminars and workshops and that kind of thing, and when I'm speaking, he'll actually do the recording and be my AV guy. And he was doing this back when he was uh, 13, I think. And he looks like a young man now, but back then he looked more kid, child than man. And <laughs> some, some people would look in the back of the room like, we're talking about intimacy and marriage with him back there. Are you sure you want him back there? And I said, ladies, this is professional. He's a professional AV guy. And he's my guy. Nobody does it better than him. So, yeah, and you know, this is real life. He's going to be married someday and have a wife, and he needs to know this. Exactly. So, you know, I, when, when, as the kids got older, just, you know, having them have experiences like travel and having them have mentors that weren't us, you know, um, sports coaches, music directors, um, or music teachers, uh, business 
mentors. And it's not, these relationships aren't always 100% positive. And I think you and I have talked before about not sheltering your children from reality. When, when they're of a certain age that they're ready to begin being tested with their discernment, I think it's great to do it in the context of home and family life. So we're right there. So my son is hearing about intimacy and marriage from me. He's hearing my perspective. And, and, but he's hearing it, and then he can ask questions to me later. And, and he hears about all aspects. It's not, not just intimacy. But, you know, and my eldest son began traveling quite a bit. He had an experience where one of the guys who was leading the group wasn't all that great of a person. And it was disappointing to him, but it was an important learning process that you learn not everybody in the world has the same values as you some people are just downright rude and how do you deal with it right so right those are important uh, lessons (laughs) yeah so you know in the context of my children's work in starting their own businesses contributing their skills to the family um, going out in the world and working with um, other people I mean my eldest one summer worked for a landscaping company locally because he wanted that experience and he learned to cuss that summer and we were like what are you doing Oops. but he learned that on the job and at the time he was 18 and and uh you know but he it was a it was an eye opener for him. He learned that the people you spend time with matter. Yeah. Because yeah. he didn't even realize until wow. we pointed it out. He's like, Oh yeah, I am kinda of talking like them. Wow. And you know, and so that's <laughs> kind of funny. But you know, I, I wouldn't expose my child to that when they're like eight. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Right. And that's that's another really important lesson. Like you said, it, it matters who you hang out with. And even though you think you might be okay, you can pick up on things like that and bad behaviors without even really realizing it. Mm-hmm. And then it comes out. <laughs> yeah. So I like having all these um, assorted and interesting experiences while while my young people were still at home. Right. And, and I, you know, I, I, I don't mean in any way to discredit schools. And, and I think there's a place for schools for some kids. But um, when a child is in a school environment, it's artificial. Right. In, yeah. in no time in their life are they going to be working with peers who've been trained exactly the same who are exactly their same age doing exactly the same thing that's a very artificial environment and with all the talk about socialization socializing all that stuff it makes me really uh, kind of peeved when people say that they don't think homeschoolers are socialized I'm like well they're not socialized the same if you look about what that word means, socialization is picking up the values of the culture or the workplace or whatever, the family. So everybody's socialized one way or another, right? You being socialized to something. I don't want my children socialized to what I've seen 
at schools. I want them socialized in a loving environment full of grace where everybody's appreciated and everybody can help each other sometimes uncomfortably be a better person and Mm -hmm. gradually have real experiences which I think a lot of high schoolers don't right know, and I think in high school age young people need to be getting out in the world and doing some real stuff working with adults that are like-minded or different-minded or whatever just having real experiences while they still live at home and while they can talk about all the stuff with mom and dad whom if you've laid the right foundation there's a good relationship with and you can talk about anything and not feel like you're going to be judged exactly and and i think that that the whole i mean the way you did school and the whole life schooling thing it gives it gives our children a broad picture of the world a broad view and it allows them to try different things and to see what they might be interested in and and if they're not interested in that they can go a different direction you know there's so much fluidity there and it just really gives children the freedom to discover who they are really Um, and that's that's a big passion of mine is I want my children to really discover who they are what gifts God has put into them what he wants them to do with their lives Um, and and to not be given life experience, to be kept in front of textbooks all day long, I really think that's detrimental to discovering, for our children to discover who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, and I feel like, just to kind of lead into my next question, I really feel like a lot of us as adults really don't know who we are, or we're just discovering that. And I know that you talked before about kind of having this identity crisis when you when you left your medical practice and you started homeschooling. But I think it's interesting the way the Lord is kind of bringing you back again to that. So share with us a little bit about what you do, your website, and, and kind of how God has brought that back around for you. Okay. Uh... Well, all of that is still evolving, and uh, a few years ago, uh, my youngest is really independent, and so I thought, well, you know, he doesn't actually need a lot from me anymore, and I have some time now to dedicate to being a professional, which I've always missed, you know, I, I like working with people and helping them achieve being in a better place personally and occupationally and relationally and all that. And so I was, you know, a couple of years ago trying to figure out what to do. And my kids were like, yeah, mom, everybody, all your friends call you up and they want advice with their boy children and their husbands. Like friends, and they were laughing. Like my friend, like they're like, yeah, your friends will text me like, let's go for a walk. I need to ask you a marriage question. And, they were seeing this play out in my life. And so I thought, well, okay, I, I had some help and encouragement to make that more formal. So, um, and, and that I st- was kind of, sorry to interrupt, but that was kind of what you, you ended up doing that a lot just in your medical practice too, right? I mean, you had yeah. a lot of that type of relationship with your patients. Um, yes. 
That is true. And uh, as a family doctor, a lot of what I did was preventative, holistic. Uh, a lot of times people would come. I can't give you a percentage, but it was a lot. Sometimes people would come with pain or uh, reflux, headaches. A lot of those problems were social. A lot, a lot of those problems stemmed from difficulties with marriage, financial issues, stress. And so um, I did end up doing a lot of that in primary care. And so it was like coming back, but I didn't really want to go back to the medical field because I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that commitment. I you know, still did have kids at home at the time, and I still have one now here. But um, I just... It, it was a return to what I was doing, but in a different way, And because now we're in a different world and we have the internet and technology. And so what I'm able to do now is speak to a wider audience of people. I try to answer everybody's questions and basically just share some things I've learned over the years. And so I, I have a website, jillbutron.com. I do a blog. I have... Uh, followers and I send out a newsletter and I have a Facebook group and that's been really awesome and has helped me also clarify what to do next and I did become convicted about uh, a little over a year ago several people in my own community including many friends of mine and honestly I had this experience too several years ago that you know, people were having problems with chronic inflammatory conditions, strange symptoms, maybe kind of knew where it came from, maybe didn't. People not really getting a lot of resolution. And so I became, I, I really prayed about it a lot and talked to people and realized that that's what I'm called to. God made me a healer, and he made me somebody who was supposed to be in people's lives this way. So my latest project is uh, uh, my a business partner and I, who's uh, she's a nurse practitioner. We're going to start a family medicine, functional medicine clinic. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but we're going to do, do it really differently. Um, we think third-party payers have really disrupted the patient-doctor relationship and the whole process. And interestingly, just yesterday, I had an experience like that. I was trying to schedule an MRI for my son because he has a hip issue that we think is congenital in nature but he's not able to participate in athletics and he's a mover and he likes to do this kind of thing. So he may have to have surgery and he needs an MRI. Well, I called to schedule the MRI. The hospital would not even schedule it without an authorization number from the insurance company. And I said, look, I'll pay you when I get there. Just do the MRI. They said, oh, we're not allowed to schedule one. with I'm like, really? My money doesn't matter? Isn't I, I mean, crazy what medicine has become? It's just ridiculous. Yes, it, it was, was just, just insanity, insanity to me that because 
I have an insurance, because I have insurance, they weren't even willing to work outside of that. And because it was their policy. And I get that the woman on the other side of the phone doesn't make the policy. But it's, it's, I've known this about this issue with my son since November, early November. Here it is, January. We kind of know what needs to be done, but we've had to jump through all these hoops, including physical therapy and all that, because of third-party payers. And so, anyway, I could go on that rabbit hole forever, but <laughs> stop myself right there. Um, I, I, something's got to change, and I, I think the our healthcare system, the system itself, is so broken and so bad. Doctors aren't happy. They're having to see a lot of patients to meet the overhead that's demanded by third-party payers and regulation. And that's just a reality. And I'm not really going to blame anybody because it just it happened. You know, Patients had a certain mindset that they shouldn't have to pay for anything. Doctors had a mindset. And pharmaceuticals have a mindset. And insurance companies have a mindset and it's sort of like this perfect storm happened and we we find ourselves where we are today because of this you know all this stuff happening and uh, anyway the bottom line is i i just i feel really convicted and compelled to do something about it so that's what we're going to do we are going to start a uh, a health care uh, medical, medical practice, practice but, but it's, it's going to be very unconventional it's going to be totally authentic totally transparent patients are going to own their data um, we're going to be able to provide really excellent high quality relational care for a lot less than anybody else's because we don't have to have 10 staff for every two physicians for billing and stuff. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's just going to be really straightforward back to the old-fashioned, you know, Yeah. how can I help you kind of thing. And so I'm excited about that, and, and I've been writing about it. So, you know, if people want to look at that, I, you know, in fact, I just sent out a newsletter today, or I'm sorry, an article, it's like a blog, you know, it's going to go in the blog section of my website, called chronic disease nation and um it's kind of provocative i don't usually write things that are so provocative but it was kind of laying on my heart there so i just spoke it and um so um it is what it is so that's what i'm doing and and so i'm kind of coming full circle and uh, i just feel so blessed that i've had this life where i could do what I felt like God, God was calling me to do every, every year, every decade. And I, in my medical training wasn't a waste. Um, no, not at all. God uses everything. I mean, he does. Yep. Nothing, nothing goes to waste. So, And it's so yep. neat to hear you talk about it because obviously this is your passion because I can tell that you, this is something you love to talk about so it's exciting <laughs> and i can't wait to see what comes of it so i'm definitely going to keep that on my radar um so i want to circle back around so we can kind of talk about what is what is the end 
of all of this journey look like? I mean, you have you have the direction that you're going off now, but I want to kind of encourage our listeners and really give them that extra bit of confidence and just come back quickly to your son who is now married and tell us a little bit about what he's doing and was all the Legos and the, <laughs> the Legos literature and labor, was it all for vain or how did he turn out? Uh, well, that, that child, child, interestingly, we, you know, I, I, I always say we stress experience and relationship and, and faith and morality. That was the emphasis in our homeschool. And interestingly, he's a genius. <laughs> yes, he is. I've met him. <laughs> academically, academically, he is incredible. And so it's interesting that I just, it, it makes me realize that focusing on grade level or uh, workbooks or this, that, or the other thing. It's so unnecessary. And, and now I have living proof. And don't believe that I didn't fear when he was little. I mean, I, there were times when, I mean, we did nothing for weeks. You know, I, I remember my, um, the kid's grandfather was dying. Well, we dropped everything. And that was our life for a while. We were helping with his care, helping my mother with his care. And um, and you were teaching them service through that, serving others, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were learning a lot. And, and so I often thought during those times, I wonder if their academics are suffering. Well, they're not. Um, they didn't. They never did. And in fact, I think all that stuff enhanced my children's academic learning. And I don't know exactly how that works, except that when they were engaged in learning anything, they were really engaged. They, were, they weren't ever, I shouldn't say ever, because there are times when they were <laughs> um, kind of sitting there not paying attention and just going through the motions doing this because mom told me to or, you know, getting this done so I can go outside, you know. Those, those, those moments, moments did happen. happen. I'm, I'm not going to say, say that they, they never did. did. It's, it's not like it was all, you know, cookies and cake and ice cream all the time. But, you know, my eldest is 21. He got married to the only girl he's ever been interested in. And same for her. They're adorable. Their values are... They are like, I wish you could, could see my hands. hands. I always say, you know, when, when you put your hands together with your fingers spread, spread just a little bit, but they're together, together that's, that's their values. values. If, if you, you slide, slide one hand, hand a little bit so that your fingers, fingers are interlaced, interlaced that's, that's their, their skills and gifts and talents. And talents. They, they complement each other. Their values are, are similar, and so there, there aren't going to be those conflicts for them. But, but their, their skills and talents and personalities are complementary. And, and so they've, they've got, got the yin and the yang thing going. And it's delightful to see because my uh, son, he's, I said he's brilliant. His IQ is really high. He's kind of like an absent-minded professor kind of person. And he's very, very rational and uh, pretty pragmatic. And 
his wife is so joyful and happy and she's this people person and so they balance each other this way and i'm excited to see what they're going to do in their life because they're really focused on their marriage in fact they did bible study together for a year before they got married they had all these difficult discussions that a lot of people have been married 15 years have never had yeah and i'm really proud of them yeah so that's good yeah, yeah, so, so that's, that's been, been his primary, primary focus in the last year, year. and um, he, he has, has an, an online, online business, business and he creates products and sells them. He's, he's also, also um, created software and an app, and that's still being developed, so I'm not allowed to talk too much about that. And he loves food and serving others. So he works in a French restaurant in the evenings during the dinner hour a few days a week for uh, the experience and a little extra cash. Because uh, he, eventually he wants to have a farm that's a total, you know, dirt to table kind of experience. So, he, so he's, he's preparing himself and giving himself experiences to someday on his farm be able to grow the food create the food and serve the food. Oh, that's cool. That's a really yeah. good idea. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, they're doing great. And uh, his wife's a uh, solo vocalist. She's a, they're both beautiful singers. But she's, she's a professional. And I'm excited to see what she's going to do with that. That's neat. Well, that's yeah, awesome. My youngest is still at home. And he's turning out great. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's, and, and, and I, I got to tell you, and, and, and I want to say this, because we talk about life schooling and homeschooling, but there is a tendency sometimes to embrace what you do so much that you can't see anything else. Right, right. So I just want to say my youngest wanted to go to school. And I said, well, why? Why, why, why? You know, well, I realize he's an extreme extrovert. The rest of us are introverts. And, and we, we live rural, and in, in our, our neighborhood, neighborhood, probably a good mile, mile radius, there is not a person younger than me. <laughs> that's an exaggeration, but <laughs> that's an exaggeration. But we, we kind of live in a retirement community, and uh, of sorts, and. His, his friends, friends all lived like an hour away, and he, he wants, wants to be with people all the time. So. We, we have, have this thing where he goes to the local Catholic school for part of the day. And there he has been able to make friends and get his social needs met. Uh, and in the sub, I, I'm going to be honest here, and I hope I'm not going to offend anybody. In the subjects that he takes there, he is declined academically. I'm going to say that, and this is, this is the best school in the county. Wow, that's interesting. So, so, yeah, yeah when, when you look, look at his, at his test scores, scores uh, I was concerned because he, of, of the, the, the other child, was a big reader from the time he started reading. reading. And let, let me, me say, say this, too. Neither of my boys read before they were nine. nine. Wow. So, so if, if you've you got, got boys, boys tend to read later and write even later. So don't force your boys or your girls, if they're this way, to read and write before their time. It right. just, just turns, turns them off, off from learning. Right, exactly. We're so quick to label, but it's that's not the way to go. I mean, they, every no. child's a, a unique individual. 
We have to remember that. Right. Okay. That, that is correct. correct. And, and so, so, so my youngest is unique in the way that he needs a lot of social stimulation, and he is a leader of people. Um, and so he wasn't able to, and I, and I didn't really appreciate this because I was kind of committed to homeschooling. I'm like, what are you, crazy? Homeschooling is way better. I know it. He goes, yeah, I know. But he's like, there's something in me that's not getting what it needs. And so, you know, I tried to give him other experiences. He was in choir and doing all these things, but it wasn't quite enough. And so now he's on the cross-country team and the track team and he goes with a bunch of guys to the gym that he met at school and you know he's in the classroom and doing a few things at the school and he does some other things that where he's homeschooled and it's a really nice balance for him and so I just yeah, I just want to put that out there that when your kids are about 14, 15-ish and it starts to become apparent what they need, you really have to meet that need. Now, in retrospect, when he was a middle schooler, I could have been more proactive at meeting his social needs, and that that probably would have it probably would have changed things. And I, had I been willing to drive an hour away several times a day, or not several times a day, but several times. I was going to say, that's a lot. Several times a week to to make sure that he had more uh, social interaction and could be an important part of groups. That's very important to him. And so I think had I done that better, and and this is where one of the areas where I feel like uh, I I didn't do right by my kids. I kind of knew that about him. I just, I I didn't conceive how important it was to him. Right. And so in ninth grade, he started going to the local school, and he developed friendships and all. And so we've developed this nice relationship with them where I get to homeschool him part of the time, and he gets to go there part of the time. And everybody's needs are met, and everybody's happy. But, you know, I'll have to say he complains a lot because he's treated like a little child, which Uh is not something he was ever used to here. Right. Academically, it's not very challenging. Uh, a lot of things are done for the group because it's easier for the administration, right. and and I totally get that. I mean, not gonna com- not gonna criticize anybody for that because yeah. in a in an organizational setting, it's different, and that right. that's why you know coming full circle. That's why families are the best environments in which to meet individuals' needs. Because when you get in an institutional setting, they just, it's hard, you yeah. know, there's just yeah. the reality that you only have so many resources to go around. So, right. um, we're doing that for this child reluctantly, but it seems to be working and, um, it seems to have taken away this, this crisis that he had at, at one point. And he, he was really getting down in the dumps, and, huh. and it was, became a spiritual issue. Yeah. And in order to get more social time, he was spending more time online. Hmm. And we had to get really drastic in how we dealt with that. And yeah. it, was, it was a real evil that came into our life. And um, 
and I hope you don't mind, this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's a really important one. Mm-hmm. I do think spiritual warfare help it, happens in families. And Absolutely. This child, Daniel, is a leader of people, has been since he was born. He's very willful, strong-willed, very protective. He's a warrior. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know if you've done personality stuff, but he's got this warrior personality. And when he was four, he used to, you know, stand between the big bully kids and the littler kids mm-hmm. and, and fight for them when he was four. I mean, oh, wow. <laughs> That's neat. And he's, yeah, and he's very protective. And, you know, the, the girls that he's had in his life, he, he protects them. You know, if boys start, you know, immature boys start picking on him, he'll he'll get he'll get in their face and be like, leave her alone. You know, so he's just like that. He's a leader of people, and we always knew from the time he was young that personality can be very challenging. And there were times when our older ch- when David, our, his older brother, would get frustrated, and they'd say, well, you can let him get away with everything, and um. You know, you you're so different with him, and I would say yes, he's a different person. Right. He has different needs, and you know, you've always actually enjoyed more structure. He doesn't want any, and we we do the personality typing, like the sixteen personalities and the MBTI stuff. We you know, we we have fun with that in our family sometimes, and <laughs> but and it is fun, and you can't pigeonhole people, but right. it, it's illuminating too because. It made me realize that Daniel is allergic to boredom, and <laughs> being trusted and having freedom is very, very important to him. And it's something that's just in him. And so I have to be careful with him always in making rules. He has to be involved in making them. It has to ultimately be his decision. Not that I never say yes or no or or make a rule for him, but the more compliance I get with and, and he, with him, the better. And, and he's one of those people who has to learn the hard way sometimes. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I have to say, I advised against this, knowing he's going to do it anyway. Right. And, and letting him go and letting him fail. And so... Sometimes I think, and there's that fear thing again. When Daniel was about two, I totally gave him back to God. I just, I was on my knees, I was in tears, and I just said, this kid is going to tear this family apart. I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit just said, he's mine. You don't have to do anything. And then, sorry, that was a really emotional moment for me that made me realize that our children do belong to God. They're not ours. He created them. We're we're there to guide them, to understand who they are, and help them develop that direction for who they are so that they don't lead people in the wrong direction. So we, we had a real struggle with Daniel when he was about 12 ish and it was dark it was a dark time and I think spiritual warfare was going on and we knew that wherever Daniel goes whatever he does he's going to lead people there 
And I think, in retrospect, he was trying to get a spiritual or emotional need met, and he was using the Internet to do it. We took drastic action as a family to get him away from um, negative exposures. Um, it was very inconvenient for our family, but we did it because we we saw that his spirit was in danger of being taken. Yeah. And so we did the hard work, and... I went back to square one in working on my relationship with him because he was feeling judged. He was feeling inadequate. The people he was with weren't edifying him at all. Even the very good people in his life, he just he he just wasn't um, comfortable with it all. And, and, and it happened at the worst possible time and probably because of the worst possible time in puberty when children are very sensitive to their peers. And so I went back to square one and just started listening to him without judgment, without comment, earned his trust again, developed kind of a new relationship, a more adult relationship with him where I started to understand more what he needs from me. And he started to understand my point of view. And we had a lot of spiritual discussions about the nature of God and his existence. And Daniel came around eventually. And I feel so blessed that that happened. And I, I, don't, even, I don't even know how all that good stuff happened, but it did. And now... Uh, we do. We have Daniel in an environment where he's getting his social needs met and his needs to lead people. He really has a need to lead people, and it wasn't being met in our family. And that was part of him feeling like the little kid in a family of successful older people. Mm-hmm. He needed to be with people he could lead. Hmm. That's interesting. And, yeah, and so we... We chose to meet that need by going to school part-time in our community. And it's, a, it's a beautiful school and all, and the people are wonderful. And I love the school as far as schools go. I really do. So Daniel's getting his knees met. He's doing great. He's excelling. He's, um, he's really become an interesting, bright, um, moral person. And his faith is really strong, and he's now taking younger... He's, he's actually asked by the school administration to take younger boys under his wing and oh, mentor wow. them. <laughs> wow, how often does that happen <laughs> in a school setting? That's, that's really interesting. That's neat. Yeah. yeah, and it meets his needs. I mean, uh-huh. it's exactly what he needs, and, and he is fulfilled and edified, I can tell. He comes home sometimes, and he's just talking a mile a minute about how great all this stuff is and you know even though he gets frustrated about the classroom setting and all of its limitations he's getting his needs met he's still doing quite a bit of home education and projects at home and so it's been a really nice um, situation for him and for us and I guess I just you know I tell that story because I want to encourage parents that not to exclude anything as a situation that could be potentially helpful for your child. And 
if they're in trouble spiritually, that's the most important thing. And when Daniel was having that spiritual difficulty and it was so dark, I honestly did not care one iota about academics. I just wanted this kid to have his soul back where it was supposed to be. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the most important thing. And I'm glad you shared that because I think it's a really good, fresh perspective for for me, too, because obviously I'm very passionate about the whole life schooling thing or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But um, but I do think there are situations and, and yours just goes to, to prove this where a child can be put in a certain school setting and that's what they need at that time in their lives. And I think the fact that he's been so successful there and done so well just again points back to your training and your work in building those relationships and putting a solid foundation in him. Because certainly you couldn't just throw him in there if if you didn't have that, if you didn't really have that relationship built with him and that uh, foundation of of the Bible and, and the training that you've given to him. Right. Yeah, and I would um, probably not recommend such an action for younger children. Right. For sure, you know, but I do think I do think for certain young people, you know, if you think about it, way back when, even before public education, aristocrats and wealthy children when they became young adults, would go apprentice with somebody, right. if not their parents. They, they might go away and apprentice for years, or they might go to university mm-hmm. younger than they do now, or a boarding school or whatever, to, to study and learn from other people in a mentor-mentee setting. And so, uh, however that looks in your community, for your family, um, I think because we live so far away from everything, that was, you know, our options were kind of limited there. But I think it, parents, it's a parent's job to meet the educational and discipline needs of their children. Again, discipline meaning training. Mm-hmm. Train a child in the way he should go. Mm-hmm. And so it's not going to look the same for each one of your children. Right. That's definitely true. And And I am... this is very insightful for me too because we are dealing with the same thing with one of our children just that strong need for social interaction and you know I I I want to be careful obviously with that I of course I have concerns just as as you're saying you did Um, but we have to make that a priority I think you really hit the nail on the head with that it has to be a priority when we see these things start to surface we have to realize if it's that important to our children whether or not it's that important to us and whether or not it's convenient for us <laughs> we have to make a real effort to meet that need and that's something we're kind of working through right now is figuring out how to meet that um, need for interaction with with peers and and with other ages as well I think it's an overall social interaction too uh, mm-hmm. That's important. So I'm glad you shared that, Jill. Thanks. It's something, something that's, that's difficult, difficult to share because it's a it's a horrible. It was a horrible time in her life. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, 
we could talk all day. <laughs> I'm we sure, sure could. have it because I'm ha- I'm having a great time. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and close out the show for today. Thank you for joining us, Jill. It's been a pleasure. It's, it's always great, great to talk to you, Jamil. Thank you so, so much for having me. Thanks. And that's Life as a Life Schooler. Hope you'll join us next time. <laughs>